Welcome to Cotton Conversations. I'm John Smith from Cotton Info and today I'm speaking with Andrew Bate. Andrew is a grain grower, cattle farmer and occasional cotton grower near Emerald in central Queensland. Andrew has a very different view about farm automation and controlled traffic farming and he's a partner in a company called Swarm Farm Robotics which gives you some idea about the company. Andrew, can you tell me what the concept is behind Swarm Farm Robotics? Which is a fantastic name, by the way, because it's simple but effective and really, in many ways, reflects what you're trying to do, doesn't it? So starting from a concept, I guess, behind Swarm Farm Robotics, we, um, I guess, I look at agriculture and say, well, the, the farming systems that have been pushing agriculture for the last sort of 20 years have, have taken us a long way, and, but somewhat that technology is starting to plateau now. And, I look at farming machinery and there's this mad productivity rush. It's been a rush to see how many acres can, can one man get out of, each, out, out, of, out of each piece of equipment. How many acres can that one man do in a day? That's been the productivity drive that we've seen. And, you know, we've seen planters and, 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 and um, sprayers and, and harvesters and cotton pickers. Everything's got bigger. When I started farming, I think the first sprayer was 16 metres wide and weighed about 7 tonnes. When we bought more country expanded, we bought a bigger machine. It was... 24 metres wide, weighed about 11 tonnes. Then we had the mining boom, we upgraded our gear again and we had this mad productivity drive, had to get bigger and, and farm more country in a day and we bought a 36 metre sprayer and it weighed about 21 tonnes, it was fully loaded. And You know, um, I guess that's, um, you know, been the trend in agriculture and we've had this drive to get bigger and I think we've lost sight somewhat as to what the best way to grow crops are. And, you know, there's a large machine that weighs such, that's so heavy, actually a good way to grow crops. You know, we've got soil compaction issues but... Not only that, the bigger you make something, the more you compromise the actual job it does. And, um, you know, these new machines we have now, they're pretty big. They're, they're very complicated because all the systems on board to um, so a large machine can, you know, be effective in the field. What we're doing is looking at going small machines. So instead of having one large machine, we have multiple small ones. They're very simple machines. They're lightweight. We're talking about things that weigh a few hundred kilos rather than several tonnes. And um, we're looking at things that can move very slowly and do things more accurately. So I guess the name Swarm Farm Robotics came from, um, there's a whole, whole field of research in, in robotics called Swarm Robotics, and that's where they look at um, uh, biologically inspired robots. So, you know, if you look at a, um, a modern computer and compare it to a human brain, well, it's not even close to what, in terms of what we can do with our brains. Uh, even the fastest computers you buy are nowhere near it. And there's this whole field of robotics that looks at, they call swarming techniques, where they um, study insects. And, you know, they look at things like bees and ants. They say, well, now bees only got a few, few hundred neurons of brain cells, yet it can achieve great things. It can guard its nest, it can forage for food, it can communicate, reproduce, um, and rebuild its nest, all those different sorts of things. Now, how does it do it with a few hundred neurons? And they compare that to something like robotics. Well, we want to do these, you know, quite um, all these tasks out in the field. We've only got, you know, computers to do this with in terms of processing power. How can we get robots to achieve great things with just a, you know with a very low processing power? And it's, it's the whole field of research, and it's quite interesting how some of these things work. And, and without getting too far off the topic, but if you look at bees, they've only got there's more eye receptors, as in cells, in a bee's eye than there is brain cells. So the bee's brain can't actually process every cell in its eye. And if you look at you know, and if you go right into theory, it's quite interesting on how they actually do that. Mm -hmm. So I guess the, the thing behind Swarm Farm Robotics is, you know, we look at robots being simple machines that do simple tasks and do it very well, very similar to how insects work. They're simple. Insects are very simple, have simple brains, um, but they can achieve great things. Mm -hmm. That's how Swarm Farm Robotics got named. 
And you're a big operation out here farming several thousand hectares. What was the point that you thought, I'm no longer sure we're heading in the right direction in terms of our you know, farm mechanisation and, and how we're doing things? I mean, you touched on it there before as well as saying that with these bigger machines, they're sort of compromising how we can do operations. And I guess too many hours in the tractor cab. <laughs> Too much thinking time, um, but I suppose you know, you know while you're out there at midnight driving tractors and planning your country and spraying and all these things you're doing, the thoughts go through your mind and how can we do this better? And you know a lot of people say, oh, robots that'll save your wages. You know, I don't know that robots will be a labour-saving device. I don't think they will be, but what they will do is they'll they're going to allow us to do new things. And it's it's about you know I, I started thinking, well, what is the next big revolution in agriculture? What's next? You know this. You know, particularly in the cropping game, in the in the grain game, you know, we've had the zero till and the controlled traffic's been the big driving force that's pushed our yields and our sustainability in the last 20 years. Well, I was watching these big deep wheel tracks through our paddock as our sprays were going through. You know, we've got wheel tracks a foot deep. They kind of really cause us a lot of grief nowadays. I was looking at our big planters trying to travel over contour banks and things like that, and even the setup of those machines, you know, the 24-metre planters, they can be a fair handful to keep them... Um, you know, getting every time to do exactly the right job, you know, trying to fine-tune such a wide machine. So I guess, you know, I started thinking, well, it was the next big revolution, was it going to be, um, you know, precision ag, there's a lot being done there. I guess I looked in, you know, obviously um, genetic modification, biotechnology, there's a lot going on there. I guess I thought about other things like soil microbiology, there's a lot of work being done with microbes and things in the soil, I'm sure there'll be some gains there along the way. And, and also, you know, even just soil nutrition, that... To me, the thing that really kept coming back was this robotic thing, you know. We could actually do different things in the field. And that's sort of what really got, got my interest. In stories that I've read about yourself and the company, and you, again, you touched on it just then, it appears that soil compaction and herbicide resistance, and they're two big issues in, in most ag industries, have certainly played some role in shaping what you're doing, haven't they? Well, that's right. I, I suppose that's the other thing, you know, all these... I guess, you know, we're out spraying and as a zero-till grain farmer, most of what we do is out spraying trying to kill our weeds with herbicides and, and weeds just become harder and harder and harder to kill to the point they don't die um, with, you know, just spraying them conventionally. And I guess I always thought, well, our herbicide resistance, one day we'll, we'll, cut that, we'll have to deal with that. Well, it just happened way, well, so much faster than I ever thought it was going to. And, um, you know, we need new ways of killing weeds. Uh, we can't just keep a long glyphosate forever and, and, um, you know, robots are going to enable us to do those sort of things. So I see robots as an uh, enabling technology, I guess. I, they're going to enable us to do things that we can't do now. So, like, there's been some research done at the University of Melbourne to kill better ways to kill weeds. They looked at microwave technology, where they actually microwave the weeds to kill them. It's been proven it can be done. The problem is you need to stop at every weed and microwave for, say, 10 or 15 seconds to kill it. And, that doesn't work on a conventional spray or even a conventional tractor machine. You can't just stop at every weed and wait for 10 seconds and keep moving. With robots, it's not a problem. I mean, little small and little small lightweight robots that run 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They can go to every weed and stop, sit there and fry it for you know, 15 seconds or so and then continue to move. And you know That's an enabling technology, enabling us to do things we can't do now. That's where I get excited about robotics. You know, The idea of automating something that we've already got out in the field now to me, there's very little benefit, you know. We could automate our existing spray rig or existing tractors. Some, there'd be some sort of incremental benefit, maybe, but really, what's the point automating what we're already doing? Let's, let's do new stuff, and that's what robots will let us do. 
And is that part of the reason why you see automation of existing equipment as obsolete? Yeah, I do, yeah. I mean, you know, since I was a kid, everyone's talked about the robotic tractor, the holy grail. And I remember as a kid, you know, someone saying, one day, one day, tractors will drive themselves, you won't have to hop in the cab. And, you know, that could be done now. That could have been done 10 years ago. Um, very expensive thing to do. Very complicated thing, trying to automate a very large machine. There's just so many systems on board. And what we see in robotics is that robots will be, they'll be small, they'll be very simple with very few moving parts, and, and, um, and there'll just be more of them. And, you know, small machines that do simple tasks and do them very well. That's, that's where we see robots being. And most people think of robots having lots of flashing lights and, and electrical systems all over them and, and things and that sort of things. And, um, you know, we see robots being as simple as can be. So I, I can't see any point in a driverless tractor. What I can see is self-powered implements out there that do one task, they do it very well and they do it very effectively. One of the anticipated outcomes of the robotic technology is higher food production from the existing cultivated land. And one aspect I can think of here is around timeliness of operation, which, which I know many of our top growers in the cotton industry are, are, have realised the importance of. But another one that I've seen described around the robotic is the ability to farm land that is currently too inefficient to be viably farmed. How do you see robots doing this? Well, I suppose, you know, one of the things about these small robots and, and, and simple robots and, and lots of them is, is they'll be scalable. So at the moment, the entry price point of most new technologies is in the hundreds of, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And if you look at the weed detecting camera systems out there, you know, there's a hundred, about 150,000 to set up a 24 metre boom, which you know, seems to be the smallest size that anyone wants to operate in the field. Uh, it comes back to you know, how many acres you can do in a day. With robots, we call it scalable technology. A small farmer might own one robot, so a guy that's farming a few hundred acres goes and buys one small robot, and he's got an efficient um, and a, um, a viable you know, um, proposal to go and buy that, that technology and implement that on his farm. A large farmer might own 40 of the same robot and um, gets the same, I guess, um, you know, similar benefit. But I guess it allows... You know the the smaller side of farming to all of a sudden get into that latest technology and access it, and that, that's a big change from what we've got now. You know, it's, it's such big ticket items, latest technology to, to implement on your farm, and robotics being simple and scalable and and um, almost com- uh, making technology a commodity rather than a capital purchase um, is going to make a big difference um, because there's so much technology out there that farmers haven't implemented yet that's available that's just too expensive or too difficult. So. That's the first thing, I guess, is the scalability. The next thing is, you know, if they're smaller, well, they're more manoeuvrable. I mean, if you've got a little tight field with a with, with little pin rows at one end, it's pretty hard to go and you know, spray it with a 24-metre sprayer or, um, you know, 12-row rigs don't, don't, don't work so good in, in on um, some of the smaller fields and, and oddly-shaped fields, particularly up here in the Central Islands and irrigation area. There's a lot of um, uh, oddly-shaped fields that are fairly... on, on slopes that are irrigated and... Um, the robots will allow better efficiencies and, and, and allow that land that's kind of awkward or difficult to farm to be farmed because they're manoeuvrable. It doesn't matter if they take an hour or two longer to get that field done because they're working 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They just keep chipping away. What area do you see the, the first robotics heading into? John, the, um, I guess the, the hard-to-kill weeds is the, is, is the thing. You know, um, When it comes to controlling robots, it, the, the lower horsepower and the things that aren't contacting the ground are going to be the first round of robots that we see. So a few good reasons for that. One, safety. Um, if, you, if you're starting to do ground engaging work with the robot, 
you need a lot more horsepower, a lot more weight, and therefore the, the safety factors become a lot higher for a robot. So it's much easier to solve the and, 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 and develop the technology that doesn't contact the ground. So we're talking about things that are spraying or you know, even things like microwave technology to kill weeds. The robot is intrinsically a lot safer, a lot simpler, and a lot easier to control. We're not dealing with things like you know, draft forces or, or, or tight ground where you know a, a planting rig or a fertiliser rig starts to crab sideways because it hit a patch of hard ground, that sort of thing. That's harder for a robot to control. So what we'll see in these early stages is, is things that don't contact the ground, that are low horsepower, that just carry you know, payload across the paddock. And you know, talking about things like spraying, fertiliser spreading, talking about you know, carrying sensors and things like that around. I don't get that excited about more and more sensors. I think we've got information overload already in agriculture. You know, we've got the drone thing out there. Everyone's excited about drones. I, I, um, I'm not that excited about drones. You know, we can send a drone over our paddock and collect more information, stick it on the hard drive. What are we going to do? What are we going to do with that information? I see so many people excited about drones. You can send a Cessna 172 across your paddock for $200 an hour and collect a lot of data. There's nothing stopping you doing that now. You don't need a drone to get data. I mean, there's benefits in drones. Don't get me wrong, but. Um, I see the you know ground-based robots that can actually do something in the field that can can do practices better by simply slowing down and doing them more accurately, or better timing operation being being the real benefits. And you know it's even and sorry just going backwards somewhat, but you know even by just slowing down and doing things more accurately, like we all know that the weed detecting systems out there operate better at slower speeds and they'll deposit the chemical more accurately on the leaf by by travelling it say, five kilometres an hour rather than 15. And there's benefits in, in that um, in terms of robots. You know, no, no one sprays their paddock at five kilometres an hour at the moment. If we could do that, the weed detecting technology out there would work better and more effectively. And that's, a, that's another thing robots are going to do. One of the things that you spoke about was having a scalable technology. So you've got multiple machines potentially working in the same paddock. What are some of the issues that you're trying to address in terms of having multiple machines working in the one field? Well, we call it the swarming technology, and that's where you, you know, multi-robot coordination, where I guess it's the technology so that we can put five, six or 20 robots in one field and they can efficiently work that field. We're doing that work with the University of um, Sydney, and it is an interesting, interesting thing. We can do the modelling and just work out the exact number of robots for the, to make the field the most efficiently... Sorry, we can work out the right number of robots to efficiently farm each different paddock shape or area. We've got, a, we've got work to do that. It, and it's interesting, um, our machines autonomously dock and refill themselves. Because they're small and they only carry a small payload, they have to be able to automatically fill themselves and continue in the field, or um, we can't get chasing around all day having to top them up. And so we so even, this is in terms of spraying technology? In terms of spraying or even fertiliser and that sort of thing as yeah, well. Okay. Um, yeah, so you know, we, we, we work out well what's the best location, where's the best uh, logistically, where's the best place to put the um, refill station in the paddock so that we get the shortest turnaround time to refill the robots. Um, so with that swarming technology, it works the best area, best the best path for each robot to take to get that paddock covered in the fastest possible time. And it also the robots communicate between each other. So if one finds a, a wet area in the paddock or or an obstacle that it can't get through, like a washout gully in a dryland situation, uh, or you know a low spot where there's water sitting and it can't get through, it, it will it, it, it lets the other robots know that it can't get to that area, so the other robots can re reprogram and re replan to, to get to the areas that one robot can't reach. Likewise, if one robot breaks down, um, the rest 
realise that and they can recalculate their path to allow, make sure the whole paddock still gets covered. So it's quite an interesting area in the in the robotic, I guess, the swarming swarming technology. Um, and it's you know it's essential this sort of technology. If we're going to have um, you know more than one robot work in the paddock, we can't have them running into each other or and that sort of thing. And um, yeah, it's 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 quite interesting. So in terms of the commercialisation of that, I mean, that sounds like there's a lot of data and software. and It'll be a system in terms of um, a farming. When I, I said a robotic farming system, then there'll be a you know, central control module, I guess, and we're not talking about offices full of computer screens with op, you know, yeah, operators yeah. sitting in offices. We're talking about things like iPads out in the field. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I believe that farmers should have dirt on their boots. Um, and, you know, if we're not going to be in the... You know, we, I guess if you look back and say, you know, what we're doing now... Our farmers are sitting in tractor cabs and air conditioning, reading the paper or on their iPhone while they while they should be farming. Um, all they're doing is just sitting there and turning at their headlands or and just monitoring what's going on. Well, with robotics, I don't think that um, we're going to be sitting in the office or sitting at the beach or sitting at the pub. Unfortunately, um, what we will be is is out of the air conditioned cab and we'll have dirt on our boots and we'll be out in the paddock making sure robots are doing the best possible job we can of of farming. And whether that be pushing, you know, making sure the seeds getting planted exactly the right depth whether that be checking out the job that we're doing, killing the weeds or assessing the weed spectrum in front of the robots, we won't be bound to the air-conditioned cab. We'll be out actually in the heat um, and we'll be out um, you know, monitoring these flocks of robots out in the field. So the farmer is still in the loop. I think the farmer's actually more intrinsically in the loop of farming um, and I think that's a really important thing because we're dealing with Mother Nature here and the farmer's the most important bit in doing that. Mm. Andrew, it's been absolutely great talking to, with someone with such a unique view around farm operation. I'm, I'm really keen now to see, see it operating. But I reckon there's probably a whole other conversation that we, we could have had about how you convinced Jossie, your wife, that this is more than just boys and their toys. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. Thank you very much.